if you want to go in the obvious base level, you've heard a million people say it, humans are wired for story and narrative and uh -huh. our brains work. Well, that's true though. I mean, that's our best way to make sense of our past and think about our future and know who we are. I mean, obviously that's just how we work. You're listening to It's All Dead, a podcast about the music we love and why we love it. I'm Kyle Hawk. Welcome to the official It's All Dead podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Cal Hawk, Editor-in-Chief at itsalldead.com. I hope you had an awesome uh, extended holiday weekend uh, with family and friends and all that good stuff. And of course, now that Thanksgiving has passed, we know that uh, what comes next is end of the year lists. And uh, we have uh, compiled ours and we are really excited. Uh, probably the first week of December, we're going to start running those and uh Happy to share some of the the best music that we found in the year 2017. So be on the lookout for that. Um, obviously, thank you for tuning into the podcast today. We've got another awesome guest. We've had a run of incredible guests on the show recently, um, which has been really great, obviously for uh, for us, but for you, the the listeners. And today's guest is really cool because we've got a lot to talk about with him. His name is Matt Carter. And you know, a few years ago, I would have introduced Matt as the guitarist for the post-hardcore band Emory. But in recent years, Matt's become one of the creators of a successful independent media company. Uh, and he's become one of the most interesting voices in music podcasting. He does a lot of podcasts, uh, a lot of different things along with uh, his band Emory. And of course, we're going to talk about their new album of reimagined tracks, which is titled Revival. But we're also going to talk about a whole lot more, including Bad Christian Media, the Tooth and Nail Labeled podcast, and much more. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time uh, out from all of your other podcasts to join us on this one. Well, it's a no problem. It's my favorite way to spend an hour. Yeah. And so I said, you know, you do a lot of podcasts. I mean, you're doing, is it three different podcasts currently? Yeah. Yeah. I'm involved probably with more than that, but I'm doing three, you know, week in and week out. In fact, I'm making probably four episodes a week. Probably, I make three or four episodes of podcast depending on the week. But that's kind of my schedule at the at the moment. Yeah. So for anybody that thinks podcasting is really easy, not necessarily. It's time consuming. <laughs> I'm wondering how you find the time to do so many uh, different podcasts. Well, podcasts are easy to do badly. You can do an unlimited amount of bad podcasts, and it's quite easy to do that. Making good ones is very, very hard, however. Sure. And that, like, and I say that because I just don't feel that great about any that I've ever made. I mean, I, it's so oh. it's so process-oriented. Like, it's like, man, after doing 100 episodes or something, you look back and go, well, I'm a whole lot better, but I can't wait till I've done 300 or 500 episodes. Right. Maybe I'll actually be really good one day is the way I always feel. Yeah, there's no question that it uh, definitely, you know, the the more you do it, the better you get. Um, and when I think back to, I guess, the the first time I heard you on a podcast, it was probably the the early days of the Bad Christian podcast. And it was funny because, you know, normally like, oh, this is the guys from Emory and you know the voice of like the lead singer, but here's the guitarist doing this podcast uh on with bad christian how many years ago was that now that you started bad christian i think we're going to hit three i think it's just been three years it's been a okay. lot has happened in three years but i think that's about it i think right I, I could it could be four and i've lost a year but i believe we started in a february so it's either three or four ago when february rolls around so this was a big leap to take um for 
you know, guys in a band that had done band stuff, but now you are kind of having this all-encompassing media company where you're bringing on uh, different artists, uh, you're releasing music, you're doing podcasts. I mean, that, it's a lot of new things all at once. And I'm sure, obviously, you were prepared going into all that. But now, three years later, what are some of the biggest things that you've learned in all this? Well, I mean, it you, you say that undertaking as if we... I didn't know it was a big undertaking or what it was going to be. I didn't know I'd be here then. It was just, I knew I wanted sure. to do something. I knew I'd do one thing. I wanted to do two things and three things. And looking back on it, I can't even remember how I was justifying the amount of time and effort I was spending on things that weren't necessarily working. I just don't, is this weird time when the band had wound down to the degree where I had free time, but was starting sure. to not make as much money or I don't remember. Like I said, it's just a weird, a weird time when I think back about it. Cause I would spend all day long thinking about a podcast or editing one podcast or trying to figure out how to make a plugin work on a WordPress website all day long. And, right. and there was no money or anything. So it was just, I can't remember how it happened that way. Cause I had, I was married and I think I had a kid at the time. So I don't know where I was getting all that free time, but I basically just spent, that year, that first year, just do learning, just trying to do whatever I was trying to do, like build this website, make this look that way, make this email capture happen, figure out how to edit. You know, I just spent all day, every day doing these things that right now seem very silly and easy actually to do, <laughs> but it was yeah. really hard and I was totally immersed in it. And then, you know, you look up sometime down the road and go, oh, it's working now, basically is what it felt like. You know, one of the things that's most fascinating just in watching it all grow is you think about, um, you know, Emory is a, a pretty well-known band, you know, in, in the scene of music that you come from and uh, obviously a really successful band, but every band has a shelf life. Um, it's almost as though, I mean, I'm wondering how all of this, as far as the Bad Christian stuff has impacted your career, because now it's like, not only do you get to keep making the music, but you have all these other things that have become their own entities. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you talk about bands having a shelf life. I guess a lot of other bands are probably f more fresh, more organic, and they don't have a long shelf life. But we're like, a, Emory's like a Twinkie. I mean, it'll last forever. It's not, <laughs> it's not that good or good for you, but we're not, we, we can sit on the shelf for 10 years. We'll, do, we'll be here 10 more years, I bet. Yeah, and... <laughs> But, you know, having this, you know, a podcast, having a, a, a different way to kind of express your voice, I'm guessing, is kind of uh, changed the way. I mean, I, I, just like you said, when you started it, you definitely weren't thinking about what it might look like in three mm -hmm. years. But now you've kind of got this whole other thing and it's turned into opportunities with something like the labeled podcast as well. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's got to be kind of a, I guess, a fun thing to think about how far all of that has come and in, in such a relatively short amount of time. No, a hundred percent and absolutely. And fun is the right word for it. I'm a very fortunate person in the, in the aspect that I pretty much do what I think is fun today and tomorrow. I had to do a ton of stuff that feels like an emergency, like you must get this done or else something bad will happen. And outside of those things, I'm usually pursuing what I actually think is the most fun thing to do. And that's kind of the only way to get anywhere close to maximum productivity out of myself. It has to be something that I would do for no money or else I'm yeah. not going to do it for somebody <laughs> else or just to, just to get money. It's not motivating enough for me to do almost anything. So fun is definitely the, the driver. It's, a ch you know, fun like a, a fun, challenging game or board game is. It's like... Right. You know, it's hard. Like you got to beat it. You got to figure out 
you got to problem solve it and it just feels good. So that's what I'm usually doing, new, developing new things that feel good. But then the pressure comes when they're successful. Cause then it's like, wait, you have to, you know, can I keep doing new things or do I need to just stop and babysit this one thing that's happens to be working at the moment? And that's what I'm always pretty torn about. So, yeah, you know, a lot of people have one podcast and it goes good and they focus all their time and energy on that. That might be a good strategy. I don't know. <laughs> it probably is a good strategy. Well, when I think about, again, back to the days, those days of uh, early in uh, the Bad Christian podcast, and, you know, it was cool to, like, get to hear you guys talk with uh, other artists that I enjoyed, but it kind of seemed like, and, and this is where you can correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of the, the crux of the whole thing is being able to, I don't know, maybe talk about faith or religion in a way that felt more uh, honest than you were hearing other people talk about it in those same veins and those same conversations. Would you say that's kind of, uh, I don't know, a big part of, of what you're doing, not only with that podcast, but with bad Christian media as a whole? Well, yeah, but I mean, that's the part that's kind of, I mean, it's easy in a way because you just, it's difficult to, to get in the mode where you know the pocket of, of what you're, who you're talking to and how you're supposed to talk. But the good right. news about it for us is it was built on how do we, how do we feel like we really talk and how do we, you know, if you just force yourself not to clean it up or imagine some big audience or some proper thing and not to get stage fried or overthink or over apologize and be careful and guide your image. We just made these intentional decisions to make sure not to do that. And then right. once you, once you kind of, nail that tone then you kind of get to be yourself so it's like clearing out a space where you know that you're going to be to enjoy it and then it's just a matter of does it work is it relatable or not so that was a good insight on on our part i will say um you know because i wouldn't have wanted to build some podcast that came from some very specific you know i wouldn't take a podcast that was twice successful where i had to be a lot more careful with what i say that wouldn't be worth mm. me yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so obviously, you know, on the podcast, uh, the Bad Christian podcast specifically, um, and some of the other things you started doing kind of, I guess, I I'm guessing that the success of all that opened the door for the labeled podcast. Mm -hmm. And you can correct me there. But was that a thing where you were approached by Tooth and Nail to step in and produce something there? Or did you come to them with that idea? How did all that I can't place. exactly remember, but I think it's just kind of an obvious thing at some point. I, I'm like almost like a podcast evangelist and in the sense that as soon as our podcast works, it worked kind of right away uh, numerically. It wouldn't make money or anything right away, but it was, uh, it was, you know, it was, it is what it was. It was undeniable for the size and small community that it speaking to. It was like a force. It just, happened and it was there and everybody seemed to recognize it immediately which is crazy looking back on it retrospectively but tooth and nail was you know there from pretty near the beginning we've always been very good friends with them and respect them mm -hmm. and like them and you know all that stuff so it was just kind of like we were doing some stuff together here or there and it made sense for them to give us some people to be on bad christian podcast and they wound up buying ad space and it's like well if you know, we're talking to music people about music stuff with this. And it obviously has a value, it has the value enough to, you know, where they buy ads on it. It just seems like, well, you guys should have a podcast. And they used to have one, but a lot of label podcasts and a lot of brand podcasts are this just kind of silly thing where you just stick a microphone in somebody and they talk about what's happening at the office or their latest right. brand or whatever. So at some point, 
it I cannot I really don't know whose idea it was, but it was like, well, look, you could probably do a, a, a produced show, a developed show and make it high quality that and that sounded fun to me. Like, I think I, I, I think I could do that. You know, I hear them on NPR or whatever. I said, well, I think I could do a more toned down, narrative based, edited, produced podcast. Surely I could do it. And so we just started talking about it and then we had to make a, you know, a business deal on it and figure that part out. And it just, I mean, I guess it was pretty organic. It just made kind of made sense for people that we were talking to. I might've had a couple of ideas between now and then, and it kind of landed where it's landed, but um, it seemed like it made sense to do. And they were super interested. So I knew they, you know, respect me and what we were doing already enough to where it seemed like a reasonable idea. And turns out it is good. And that show has been successful, which I'm, you know, also, I can't say super surprised, but again, very fortunate to have at least two podcasts that, you know, uh, work. Yeah. Well, it's, you mentioned the success of the show and it certainly has been, and it's, it's surprising and it's not. And I kind of want to talk a little bit about that because, you know, when you talk about Break It Down or the Bad Christian podcast where you're doing these interviews with people, I mean, the, the conversation could go so many different ways. And that's a pretty easy show to to produce and put together. And, you know, if the guest is great, the content's mm-hmm. really compelling. Tooth and Nail, I mean, these are storytelling podcasts. You're going out, you're doing interviews, you're doing a lot of editing on the back end to kind of make it all flow together. And I mean, right off the bat, this was a, a success. And you think about, wow, here was the small kind of niche uh, indie record label. And all these people are so interested to hear these stories. What is it about Tooth & Nail specifically that makes it such an interesting label for people? Uh, you know, even years after, I guess mm-hmm. what you would call the label's heyday, is it the nostalgia of it? Is it just the fact that there are so many interesting stories there? Well, there's a lot of, of factors there. So let me see if I can identify a few of them. But for one, I, I have a suspicion that almost any record label or any, man, um, I, I almost bet any brand that's been around for one or two decades, you know, is interesting. There's interesting stuff there yeah. if you find it, if you tell it right. And then it's just a matter of what scale, like how many people would care. But, uh, you know, the story stuff, if you want to go in the obvious base level, you've heard a million people say it, humans are wired for story and narrative and uh-huh. our brains work. That's true, <laughs> though. I mean, that's our best way to make sense of our past and think about our future and know who we are. I mean, obviously, that's just how we work. So anytime you get somebody and they're telling something in the form. I mean, you ever hear somebody tell a bad story that doesn't end and it just tapers off or whatever? That's so unsatisfying. Right. So if you're going to control speech or edit or frame something, I mean, there's a there's just a good way to do it. It seems like, you know, it, it, it's yeah. a good way to do it if you just think about it in narrative. And, you know, I hear podcasts and documentaries sometimes about the stupidest stuff. And it's totally interesting as long as it takes you and put, puts you immersively in the scenery. Like I could, you could listen to something on This American Life where they're talking about a ranch hand in Montana and they have the sounds going in the background and the guy's talking and the person's interrupting you and telling you what he's wearing. You're there. And so sure. it's not, it's not the most profound story in the world, but you're transported there. It's a, it's, it's like a, you know, a movie used to be that in our culture, like you go in that theater and it's dark and no, there's nothing else. Like you, you forget who you are and you become transported to another place podcasts are kind of like that now they're very immersive because there's earbuds right right in your ear and if somebody's going to tell you a story and you've already committed to hitting the play button and sitting there listening i mean you're you're going to be captivated so that's like almost a trick or trick to it it takes the work to do it but you could 
I, I feel like you could do it with almost anything. And we see shows like S town, the better the story is mm -hmm. obviously the better. And then on top of that, you've got nostalgia, which is just, yep. we all know what that is these days. It's like very marketable, very satisfying. I don't know what it means. It, it could be because everybody's so horrified at the present that we're even hyper nostalgic, <laughs> I suppose. Um, yeah. But that's just the way it is. It's also maybe an age group thing. So there's probably a perfect time for nostalgia that's about a decade after you were 18 to 24, right? So yeah, age 16 to 24, whatever happens then as far as foods you like, the movies you like, anything you were consuming in culture, commercials, even from that from those times, you'll remember fondly whether you even loved them at the time or not sometimes sometimes people are that way where right. you know right. like uh, there's a, another town in uh, south carolina that has like a paper mill and it stinks and i'm telling you it stinks and everybody <laughs> complains about how bad it stinks and then if you are gone or you move away or you say oh yeah every time i go back there i love it so much i smell that smell of the paper mill wait i thought you hated that smell well yeah <laughs> but it makes me think of an earlier time oh okay so even sure. if it's negative people are nostalgic so i think that's just a, a another force to tap into that's probably a factor here but that's just what it is yeah you know i've i've tried to think to myself like let's say some other random indie record label started a podcast same idea like what what would my interest level have been i do think that there's something about the following that tooth and nail records had mm -hmm. and maybe still has um because you know I, I can speak from experience it was probably i don't know maybe a two to three year span there when i was in college where if tooth and nail records put out an album i was buying mm -hmm. it like I, I can't say that about a lot of other record labels in, in my lifetime and i feel like i knew other people that kind of had a similar experience where they kind of felt like a part of that family and i think you know and again i'm talking from personal experience so i could be totally wrong there could be a ton of people out there who are just like really invested in rise records or something i, I don't know but like I, I do think there was something special about that particular community mm -hmm. that people are really interested to hear those stories now. i think so too i i like to think that it would be that way for other Labels. So, for instance, I don't know, sub pop records. Surely there's enough history there. That that'd be amazing, sure, right? Yeah. There's got to be a few other, uh, equal vision. I mean, maybe victory. I mean, depends. On, there'd be wild stories. <laughs> there. I could yeah. imagine that being really interesting. But there's probably something special about Tooth and Nail. Um, it is relatively, uh, I mean, I think it's shaped by the Christianity thing enough to where it's an extra, one extra tie-in that made that you had a lot of people in that day that were allowed to listen to tooth and nail records and they, they mm -hmm. maybe had it as a semi-safe thing at youth group and you know it, ha it had an extra dimension there that probably binds the people a little bit more maybe but uh, also just yeah. good you know good music that zoned in on some certain cultural aspects at the right time so yeah yeah. You know, I, and again, you know, somebody that didn't grow up, uh, you know, me didn't grow up in a church, you know, I've kind of had tertiary connections with, with religion. I was always fascinated by, you know, tooth and nail in terms of like the great music output along with like, wow, this is really interesting that these bands, some of them come from a certain faith perspective or some of them not. And just seeing how all of that worked and now hearing some of these stories later has been really interesting as well. And I'm wondering how you go about choosing the stories that are on here like is that something that you and toby and aaron are doing is that something that tooth and nail has a say in how do you come up with what each episode's gonna well, be? well we've tried just a lot of things and to be i mean i'll put it this way also this show is so difficult 
and annoying to do. It's so <laughs> much harder than everything else I do. Um, but for a couple of reasons, but it's, we've tried a, a bunch of different things. I still don't feel like I know what the format of the show is, to be honest. So we're wrapping up basically our term or our deal or the, the initial idea to try this and see it through. And we have one more episode and then it looks mm -hmm. like it's successful enough and we're going to renegotiate and renew. So it all looks great, okay. but um, it's taken this whole year which i would call a season although i'm not really thinking of it in seasons i think it'll just continue indefinitely um it's taken this whole time to even kind of get a grip on what does it mean to make episode and who does what so when we first started we just listed like 15 ideas for shows like what if we had the this or one where under does this or talk to these people or mm -hmm. do the mxpx tooth and nail lawsuit that's one that we i still like to do um Oh, and, wow. Yeah, but I'm hoping to do something on that that would be really interesting. So just we just think, what are the big things? What are the stories? What do we know? And then, of course, narrowing down to what do we have access to and what were we actually there for? Because there's, you know, it's biased toward the stories that I've heard or seen or known about sure. or bands we've toured with. We can We do outside of that, too, but the best stuff comes from stuff that I have personal relation to or experience versus just some outside journalist covering some story. So that gives us a leg up. Yeah. So that helps to determine it. But um, Toby's kind of settled into that role um, of doing, I'm doing probably more on air talk, obviously, and he's doing more of the front end and thinking of the ideas and booking the guests and kind of shaping it. And then we have Melanie who does the editing and production and she's mm -hmm. really, she wasn't even around originally. Um, and then I picked her up to help do it. Cause she's really talented at, she, she does the edits. I allow her to decide what's in and what's out and how the narrative goes. And she pushes me, say, make sure it has a beginning and a middle and the end and make sure you ask these questions or could you get me clips like this? So she's actually a very special part of the process. So Toby is kind of pitching all the ideas and lining stuff up. And when her, he and her agree on it, then I'm always probably almost always going to say yes. And then I get to go maybe sure. have the conversations and shape it and figure it out. And then Melanie will complete the episode. And then I hope tooth and nail likes it usually, but I mean, we tell them what we're up to, but it's usually like, here's the concept. And then they get the final episode or a rough of the episode, you know, a few days before it goes up. And, you know, if there's something they don't like, it's like bleep this or take that one little thing out, or could you try to mm -hmm. add this or that? So that's usually how, how it feels, but they usually know the idea. Yeah. We take a couple of weeks to make the episode. They hear it a few days and give notes and they'll come back and say, well, you know, so a lot of times Adam at tooth and nail has been really helpful. We'll make all the music notes. He'll say, play this song here, play this song here, shorten that. Uh, okay. So they, they like to be, Adam at tooth and nail likes to be involved and is very, uh, he's very helpful and creative too. Yeah. So you're saying it's probably a couple of weeks involved from beginning to end for you to kind of tell this story for a particular episode? Mm -hmm. Usually, I mean, I don't, I got this problem where I don't like doing stuff in advance. I just don't, I just don't like thinking very far about in the future or the past, either one. So I don't want to do, I don't like to do anything unless it's time to do it. So I like to, it's, right. other people don't like that. And I, I acknowledge that as a problem, but I want to be working on the episode that comes out in two weeks and then I want it to come out. And then the next day we can talk about the next episode as far as I'm concerned. Right. Now that's not great. And we're trying to get ahead of that, but that's the pressure I like to work under. So it, we just do a two yeah. weeks and it's like, okay, well we need these four people to talk to, or sometimes it works out good. Uh, in the case of the last one with Aaron Marsh from Copeland. And then mm -hmm. we did an episode with Aaron Sprinkle, both of those, they were just one conversation that was amazing. And we just cut it, cut it up and, cleaned it up and it was just awesome so that's the most satisfying is to have a powerful singular good 
pre-planned conversation and make that go well. That's my favorite. It's the easiest. It's the most natural. And then the ones like the under oath episode, you just had to talk to a million people and decide what the story right. is. And they don't necessarily line up and they, you wish they'd have said this and they didn't quite say that the way you wanted them to. And you know, is that, does that contradict this? And that, that, get, that's gosh, that's, that's the hard stuff. Sometimes that works out and sometimes yeah. that becomes a, a nightmare. Yeah, I was wondering if it was ever a challenge to get certain people to kind of be involved, especially as a story kind of starts to tell itself. Because um, obviously, like when you do the Copeland episode, like you did this week, um, you know, you've got Aaron Marsh, and he's able to kind of tell the story of how he put together this this debut album for the band. That makes a lot of sense. But then there's other times, um, I think about the, uh, there was a small part of one of the episodes uh, speaking with Jesse Sprinkle of dead poetic and talking about kind of the dissolution of that band. And of course you get Jesse who was in the band for a short time, but not Brandon and Zach who kind of were there from start to finish. Is it ever a challenge to kind of figure out like who can we talk to, who wants to talk, who do we have time to talk to even if they want to? Yeah. So I had Jesse on that. It just was funny that he was, cause I was trying to talk about poor old Lou and then he happened to be in dead poetic, but the, you know, I, right. I, of course I could, get Brandon and Zach. I, I don't think that would have necessarily been a problem, but it's just how, I don't know. Like that's a disappointing thing is, is these things are really easy to say, well, why didn't you also talk to him? I mean, in fact, I get people right. all, all the time. They're like, wait, why didn't you talk to me about that? And I'm like, well, I, <laughs> I don't know. I talked to a lot. I don't know. You're probably right. I should have talked to you. That's usually the way I feel like, I guess I wish I did talk to six more, but who are they and how far? I mean, I right. don't, there's no real, you know, you just, you do what you can do. You start hitting up yeah. people on your text and email and you do the interviews you do and start putting together. And if you need something, you try to get it in last minute, but it's not like we're doing a documentary where you spend six months on it and then go, it's not like that. So. A lot of people are, and, and the people aren't always happy that even do that's been the other thing. It's just been <laughs> real frustrating is when people <laughs> it's happened on many of the episodes, at least more than th three or more where the person agrees to do the episode and they tell me how much they love the podcast and they're genuine. They're like, I love this episode and I think this and that about it. And I just love how they, they love the podcast. And then I do episode about them and they don't like that one. Right. <laughs> and I, that's very disappointing to me because I, I don't really think they're right. I think they're happened to be wrong. Like I think the episode probably is good and it is illustrative to other people and they're too close to it in a way that they don't always like hearing th about themselves in the third person. And so that's a bummer because they're just my friends or something. So if they're like, yeah, I didn't really yeah. I didn't think that really worked out. I didn't think it was, you know, that's I, I'm very disappointed when that happens. Yeah, but it does happen. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you got that on top of all of the people listening, I'm sure, that are saying, oh, why won't you cover this band? Or when are you oh, doing yeah. an episode about the Unbelievable. That band, so. Yeah, well, you only cover this. Or why do you always do heavy music? Or what? I mean, I don't know. Well, it's, you... it's hard. I don't know what to tell you. I'm just trying. <laughs> just trying. But on the other hand, it's successful. So it's just yep. the way it goes. Yeah, it's been fantastic to listen to. And it's exciting to hear that it, uh, it sounds like, you know, this, I guess what you would call the first season is wrapping up. And then hopefully there will be another set of uh, episodes down the line uh, somewhere. I, mean, I think. That yep. I, I think we'll be back in January, to be honest. I just, I, there's particulars to work out. But, you know, it, 
it's good. I mean, it's, it's, it's successful. People, there's enough downloads, there's sponsor stuff going on. The label likes it. Fans like it. So yeah. it, it's hard to, you know, I, are you aware? I was trying to think of this the other day. Are you aware of any podcasts that do well at all that ever end? Like I started to get scared about that. I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh crap. I do a few podcasts. It's like, are they never going to end? Like I never thought about that, but yeah, I, once you start a podcast and people like it, you feel like crap. You got you have to keep doing it. Yeah, that's that's kind of an interesting take, you know. And I would say as as long as as the stories are there, you know, you're you're hopefully going to have the audience, especially as you continue to refine the process. So I mean, I can't think of a major podcast that's ever stopped, even right, right. Yeah, think of one. Uh, I'm, I'm trying sure to. Is. I, I, I can't even think of a. Po- There's no podcast I've ever. I've just never been one that I listen to, and they're like, well. We're done. I've never, I've never, I've never done yeah. So maybe that's a good sign that uh, not to add another <laughs> podcast on top yeah, so of it. Don't add else. anymore. You're right. <laughs> well, like I said from the start, you've got all these different things you're doing. Let's talk about Emory because you just put out a collection of songs called Revival. And mm-hmm. this was pretty cool because, you know, for longtime fans of the band, you kind of get to hear these songs in a new context, a new take without it being like, hey, here's a collection of acoustic tracks which you know that can be good too but this is kind of like a whole re-envisioning of a lot of these songs talk a little bit about where that idea came from and what the process was like to put all that together well let me think about it i don't even recall where the original idea came from but what you said there is exactly right it's it's you want something like this to be understood as a its own piece of you know art that there was effort put into, not simply stripped down acoustic versions of old songs just for re-release sake. This is a real album, but it, I understand it's not a new full length. So, but it, it a lot of work went into it, and it has, makes a lot of artistic statements, like them or not. Um, it it has its own thing so that is the challenge of of doing something like this like every time when i go to talk about it i say we have a new intermediate album a new album on the way to doing a new album kind of thing but i don't want to call it a little nothing or b-sides or acoustic because it's more than that um i think the concept came i I tell you part of it is just uh we did the the crowdfund for our new full length and we thought why don't we do a few redo songs to uh giveaway that's what it was we said why don't we redo a few songs here that way we'll have something to give away instantly for people that sign up for this crowdfund we'll give you three new tracks that we've done whatever on and then that'll hold you over until we make the album and you get something immediately to entice people to to you know do that and so they just turned out good so it's like well let's do more of these and as the campaign went on we said well what i tell you what if we raise a hundred grand we'll we'll just do make this into a whole album too why not? And so and give that to the supporters. So that's that's how I think it came about. And yeah. then on the other side of that is trying to figure out what amount of stuff could we release that people would care about and that just, you know, just sit there and streaming. Maybe it'll maybe it'll pay for itself and then some is the idea. So I'm kind of interested right now to collect the data on Spotify. So we're trying to just push Spotify and see like what actually is the budget we can spend per song that it's simple Spotify consumption or Apple music yeah. will wind up paying. Is it $400 a song we could spend to have them produced and mixed? I don't know. Is it 200 is a thousand dollars over a year. And so right. I'm kind of interested in that. Um, I'm in a data mode on that where I'm just yeah trying to collect data and decide, is it good to release one thing a year or two things or one every two years? And you know, that kind of, that mode of thinking is where I'm in yeah. data gathering. I'd call it. It's a really interesting way of looking at it. 
Um, on terms of the recording side, I'm wondering what it was like for you to go back and reimagine some of those old songs that were written, you know, 10, 15 years ago even. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the key to that is bringing in an outside person and not beating my head against the wall again, <laughs> trying to rearrange and undo stuff that I did. So we have a new guitar player playing for us. His name's Chris Keen, okay. and he has been playing us for with us for the last whole year. We redid our set list and toned down some of our music and have rearranged some of the songs for our live set, and he's been a part of that. Uh, he was in the band number one gun. He lives in Chico. He's in the band surrogate is his band. This is a really cool band that not a ton of people know about. And he lives in Chico and has a studio. So, and he's a producer. He's great. And he's been playing with us live. So he actually did the recordings and a lot of the arrangement stuff himself. We just kind of turned him loose and he hits us back and say, well, let's try this. Or here's my idea for this song. And he just kind of actually realizes it. And makes the has made most of these tracks so that's the key so it's fresh there is something new there that is not just coming out of mine and devin and toby's brain and he's such a part of the band now and has been playing with us live and he's going to work on the new record or already is too so you know i'm not saying the new album will sound like this reimagined but there's some something about it that will be in common with the new album too only it'll be new songs yeah that's excellent and of course at this point, you know, you've developed a pretty good back catalog of albums. And we talked about nostalgia a little bit earlier. And uh, you guys did a 10-year tour a couple years ago for uh, The Question. You know, one of the things that we do, like, uh, some, it's really crazy because we just did this just to have fun with it on this podcast. But some of our most successful episodes have become these particular episodes where we break down a band's discography, not in a, this one sucked, this one was great, but more of like a reflection of like, well, this is what this one meant to me at the time. And when I look back at it now, this is what I think about it. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder as an artist and especially going back to, you know, look at some of these older songs of yours again, how do you reflect on Emery's music as you look back? Are there certain albums or songs that kind of mean more to you or mean different things to you than they did at the time? I mean, what what is it like for you to kind of take in the full scope of what Emery has put out? Well, I'm going to speak from my point of view, which would certainly be different than Devin and Toby who wrote the lyrics to the songs. So when I think about the songs or hear them again, um, it was really interesting question you asked there because it brings up a lot of different kind of thoughts like on on one hand there's this part of this experiment of hearing the songs redone well makes me realize that man did i have a lot of uh i had no separation between what the song was and the master recording so if you if you look Mm -hmm. at music and you understand what masters are versus publishing songwriting you know was the song good or was the recording good? Or is the recording bad and the song bad? The song bad, but it was high energy. Like it actually forces you to look at the song itself apart from its recording and context and placement in the album right. and where culture was at the time. So I hear these songs now and rearranged differently by somebody other than me. And I hear the song. Oh, yeah. the song is boring. The song is good. That verse should have, like I hear more objective things about the song. And so when I think back about the music, I cannot untie the arrangement and the recording. We did the one in, with Ed Rose in Kansas, and he said to yeah. me this way, and I was there, and I didn't know how to play that yet or what that meant. And But here's the song, but here's a new part we composed to it, and then here's the lyrics. And all of those different factors and where we were in life all come together to make you know, track three on the week's end, whatever that is. I can't even yeah. know what it is, but um, yeah, I actually don't know what it is. 
Said uh, disguising mistakes is good. No, it's number two. Is it ponytail parades might be number three? I don't know. In any case, <laughs> it's that's what I'm saying. The, those things are the ponytail parades is a very specific thing. It's it's sure. a master recording. It's a written song. It's an arrangement. It was done at this studio, and it goes in this context on that record. And those things are so packaged together that you don't realize that they're separate. And not and that's not even to take into consideration what the lyrics meant to Toby when he wrote them and how they right. may still be poignant or silly at this point. So that's kind of fun to have to have enough distance to go back and, um, you know, experience them with from those different points of view. That's the mental yeah. part of it, the way I assess it. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear. Um, you know, talking about Emory, we've talked about all these other things that have happened, you know, in the past three years from Bad Christian to Break It Down to Labeled. I'm wondering how all these other endeavors taking off has impacted your experience with Emory. Are you able to come into, you know, a songwriting experience or a tour or anything with Emory with like a little less weight on your shoulders at this point? Is it, can it just be like a, a fun thing or, or has it not really changed at all for you? No, it's changed a lot. I mean, the... You know, a few years ago, I wouldn't have let anybody else touch the recording or arrangement. And now I was kind of disappointed when I realized I don't think I can sit down and spend all these hours arranging the songs. I felt like, I don't know, like I like doing that. Like I've always really enjoyed mm -hmm. having the time to sit with way more hours with the music than everybody else. Like Toby and Devin just write these songs and they just say, well, it's what I wrote. It's good or it's bad. Right. I don't know. I'll rewrite if you want me to, but it'll, that'll take me 30 <laughs> minutes also. Um, and I and I don't do that. I spend 10 hours, if I feel like it, on the bass and the guitar part, getting them to work together in front of a computer. And that's what I like to do. And I'm not doing that right now. So on one hand, I felt insecure about that. Like, well, don't I need to contribute more? Uh, is it bad? Maybe it won't turn out good without me. Or maybe I'm just feel like I have to do that to make myself feel important. Maybe. And ultimately I've turned, I'm not doing spending all the time with every, you know, eighth note in, in the whole track. Chris is doing a lot of that now. And so it's been, I, I think it's been good. Like it's, I wouldn't even say it's bittersweet. It's like really cool. I still feel important enough. I'm not, I don't, right. I don't feel like, Oh, I didn't get to play or I wish I got to play more on it. And I get to hear the, so I'm doing less work, which is actually nice because I'm busy. I've got other stuff to do. So I'm doing less hours in the music. Uh, I still get to have any opinion I want and I can play on something if I want to or not. And I get to hear all these songs not beaten to death because I've spent, 40 or 80 hours with each one i get to hear them uh and it's more satisfying so i i kind of dig it i hope it turns out good i hope it's i don't know on the new album if i'll do a lot less than the other ones or if i'll get in the mode where i'm want to do a whole bunch more i'm not sure yet in the new album but i guess i just say i'm open-minded to it and it is very fun to hear things get done without me so i've, I've let go right. a bit and so far so good yeah Excellent. That's good to hear. And uh, we're excited to to see what comes next with Emory. As we wrap up here, uh, there was something I wanted to ask you because it's timely and because I feel like you're, you might have a good perspective on it. Uh, if only because, you know, when you listen to the Bad Christian podcast, some of the conversations that come out of that and just in terms of the way people speak about things and experiences, uh, you know, it's no secret at this point, some of the recent news that's happened within, I guess, what you would call our scene. Um, and, and a lot of it isn't surprising for a lot of people to find out that, like, 
there's stuff that goes on that has not been great and it kind of impacts the way that you think about an artist like fans of brand new trying to comprehend how they feel about what they've learned about Jesse Lacey stuff. I'm wondering from you, from somebody that was in the scene touring with bands, I mean, you know, you, you know, as much as you do, I mean, how has that been like for you to reflect and, and think as some of these things come out? It's, it's been, I mean, it's a very, it's, there's a lot to think about. So, uh, right. I, can't, I, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but I, I feel like everybody in my position has been in a touring band for this time and through this period of time, you know, and maybe way beyond that. And every guy in the world, for all I know, is in this place where you're just thinking back through your past and what you've done and what your friends have mm-hmm. done and what you've seen and what you've heard that you didn't believe and what was a rumor. And there's all those things I just listed are definitely categories that I have spent time thinking about and there's probably more to think about um and it's not easy to evaluate or know and although I don't I'm not worried about you know I'm not worried about our band I don't think there's anything funny coming out I know anybody would say that but you know we were talking about on the last tour like we hadn't seen each other since most of stuff happened and then we we talked about it all the time on the last tour it's like hey remember when we were on tour with this band and this happened or i read this on yeah yeah that right man there's there's definitely stuff there and rumors it's weird because you you i mean i definitely know some rumors that i would certainly not say on air right and if it comes out and it's true people will be like well yeah, but why didn't you say something? You, if you knew that, like, I'm sure it was that way with the Hollywood stuff. It's like, well, if everybody right. knew, it was like uh, Weinstein or Bill Cosby's a creep. Why didn't anybody say anything? But w- what can I say? I mean, I think I heard that it might be. I mean, I don't know what you're supposed to do about that. But there's things in my head that I think, oh, that's bad. And I heard that and I think I believe it. But what am I supposed to say? Yeah. You know, what? Well, I don't know what you're supposed to do. So, yeah. <laughs> It's it's a weird it's weird, but it's yeah. I think it's important. I'm pretty sure it's an important time. Um, I hope. I mean, I think I can put it this way that I think we're improving society right now with way with everything that's happening, um, with a very relatively blunt instrumentation. I mean, there's going to be stuff that's weird. People get thrown in the bus and things that are overlooked. And I think things are, you know, it's going to be, it's, it's probably going to continue and get worse and more stuff will get exposed and it should have been more exposed all along. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. But now's the painful part. It's like a a housing bubble bust or something like you got to pay for it eventually. And as a society, we've not been dealing with stuff. And so, you know, here we go. It'll be unpleasant but we've all got to face it, I guess, something like that. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's complicated. And you think about going forward, uh, in terms of just even just something specific as, uh, as the music scene and, you know, what can we do to help people be safe? What can we do to, to rectify these things? But, uh, there's also going to be a lot of tough stuff of trying to figure out, you know, how you, how you think about things from the past, uh, and how, fans think about some of their favorite music so it's yeah uh, it's, I mean, a, it's a lot to go philosophical through. kind of questions of like well does that make this band's ba- music bad or can you not enjoy it right. or yeah. should you or is it I, you know there's a lot of weird weird stuff in there the the most positive thing i can say is no doubt about it even if it's a weird way that we're going about this and it's uncomfortable there's a lot of people i, I think most of the stuff that people have done bad is something they thought 
they just thought they could get away with. I think people are worse than you would think for the most part. I really think they are. And so what they calculate that they can get away with or are afforded by a certain lifestyle or status, they, you know, overall people are going to do what they think they can get away with. And now as a result of the way everybody's thinking, there's, you know, even these people aren't going to, they're going to go, I'm, I think it's going to correct a lot of behavior. I don't necessarily, it's going to correct people's hearts or who they are deep down, Mm -hmm. but it's, I'm pretty sure less people, you know, there's going to be a lot of predatory type people that are just hopefully, I don't know if they're going to change their ways exactly, but hopefully they'll just be too scared and that will result in less people being, I'm pretty sure the future will, will include Even if just social pressure keeps you from getting in any weird situations i think the benefit there's a good benefit there so uh, i guess it's a start yeah it's a start (laughs) cool well matt this has been an awesome conversation um we are thankful that you took the time to chat today uh and uh, not only about all the the podcasts and stuff you're doing but about the music as well um so thanks for taking the time to talk with us about all this and and good luck with all of it going forward well thank you kyle i've enjoyed talking with you So you can check out the Labeled Podcast, the Bad Christian Podcast, Break It Down with Matt Carter, get on iTunes or your podcast app of choice, subscribe, leave a good review. And of course, if you like our podcast, subscribe to us as well. Let us know uh, what you think and uh, what you'd like to see on the podcast. That's going to do it for now. If you want to check out more, go to itsalldead.com, get up to the date music news, reviews, and a whole lot more. Uh, That'll do it. Until next time, I'm Kyle Hawk, and we'll catch you then. Thanks for listening to the It's All Dead podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Then visit us at itsalldead.com for the latest music news, reviews, and much more.